Great Peace, The Fruit of the Spirit, Part 2. Great Peace, Fruit of the Spirit, Part 2. We were we started on Sunday talking about the peace that he was talking about. It seems as though it's two different peace, but I tell you about 90% of the peace that speaks of in the New Testament is an internal peace, whereas in the Old Testament there was a lot of uh outward circumstances and outward things going but that peace was brought about by by God's discipline and the chastisement and punishments from God that took away external peace in a good great deal of situations but here in the New Testament we're talking internally and maybe 10% of the time would mean externally but let's look at these first verses that I have here uh, Isaiah the 54th chapter the 9th 10th 16th through the 17th verse it reads for this is like the waters of Noah to me as I swore an oath that the waters of Noah would not flood the earth again in the same way I have sworn that I will not be angry with you nor will I rebuke you for the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake but my loving kindness will not be removed from you nor will my covenant of peace be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Herein you read the foregoing verses, but you see where God's saying that he had established a covenant of peace with his people, which that covenant sometimes sent, seemed to be absent or whatever because this verse primarily in the New Testament applies to a great deal of the Gentiles because they were the ones that seemed barren and desolate because God had chosen the Jews, chosen Israel as his bride, but they were sort of ignored. The Gentiles were sort of cast aside or not chosen at that time, but we're to encompass this scripture and look at it because it it's talking about in times. It goes to God's sovereignty of destroying the earth and God's sovereignty of the earth during the times of Noah. And we know during those times of Noah that the covenant that he established of peace with Noah, with man at that time was the rainbow that he placed in the sky that he would not bring that type of judgment upon the earth again, not by water. As he had established that covenant by placing the sign of the rainbow, it goes on to say, and your spiritual son, that is your children, will be disciples of the Lord, and great will be the well-being of your sons. The King James Version reads for that verse, and all thine children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thine children. Here in again, applicable in the New Testament. And as he was talking then, he wasn't talking about the entirety of all children. He was talking about the spiritual children, the chosen ones. Here he says that peace shall be a great peace. And in this time, we see an ever-increasing peace because, as I said, peace is one of the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. So he says great will be their peace be. So in these last days, we'll see a multiplication or growing of peace 
among the children of God, especially an inner peace, a spiritual peace, an internal peace. He says, listen carefully. I created the smith who blows on the fire of coals and who produces a weapon for its purpose, and I have created the destroyer to inflict ruin. No weapon that is formed against you will succeed, and every tongue that rises against you in judgment you will condemn. This peace, righteousness, security, and triumph over the opposition is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, says the Lord. So this great peace, this establishment of righteousness, the security that we have that God is sovereign over the opposition, and he even creates the weapons of the opposition so we know no weapon or anything that formed against us will succeed, but that success is in our corner and the battle is already won because Jesus had won the battle for us. And an inheritance is not something that you have to uh, earn or whatever. Inheritance is given to you. That's a right that's given to you. And the inheritance of the saints, he says, this righteousness is the inheritance of the servants of God. In other words, God has made provisions for this in his will. The provisions are there for us to inherit all things. Now, I talked about this being a fruit of the Spirit. John 16 and 33 says, These things I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace, but in the world you shall have tribulation." But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So being good students of God's word, we know that Jesus was talking to his disciples and things here, the 16th and the 17th verses where he was telling them he had given his word, he, that uh, he was praying for them and not for the world, but he was telling them that they would have tribulation in the world and that tribulation shouldn't deter them from having an inner peace, even though calamitous things may be going around on around it. The Amplified Version reads in that, I have told you these things so that in me you may have a perfect peace that is in Christ. That's why we have to abide in him to sometime give us solace when things around the world are flying all apart. We should not be troubled. We shouldn't be troubled by the outside circumstances of what's impinging upon us because he had given us an inner peace, a peace that exceeds all understanding, a passive all understanding. It continues on to say, uh, In the world you have tribulation and distress and suffering, but be courage, be, be courageous, have courage in other words, be confident. Be undaunted by any things that happen. Don't let anything discourage or slow you down. Be filled with joy, for I have overcome the world. And my conquest is accomplished. My victory remains. So though the world is passing away and the mountains be removed, that abiding victory in Jesus Christ is there for us. Now, it would be a glorious thing to be free from burdens of, of the living in this dangerous, unstable, violent world. With the, I came through a storm on College Drive just now. It didn't even rain on this side of town. It was like, 
but on College Drive there was a storm of storms. Uh, but as the sons of God, such is not our lot in life, and it brings to mind this storm that we'll talk about in a few minutes. But the circumstances and the heat wave and whether it's the pandemic with coronavirus or whether it's political upheaval or religious upheaval, none of that takes away our design on what's happening and our inner calm to continue on in what God had called us to do. God had called us to a life that runs counter to much of what this world's practices and attitudes. As such, we are caught not only in general events and circumstances generated in the world, but also when we directly irritate and anger those close to us by determinedly following God's way, it upsets the apple cart a lot of times that we're not upset. A lot of people want us to be disturbed or what they call it, perturbed or whatever you want to say it. I don't know if that's a really bad word or whatever, but for things that discombobulate us and it vexes them when that happens or whatever that we keep a steady hand on situations and circumstances. Uh, I have to look that up a little bit later to see what I said there. Uh, I, I hope that word wasn't offensive to anyone. Uh, John the 17th chapter and 11th verse says, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I am come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. So he's no longer in the world, but he left us in a cruel world. It's a very dangerous world. But to us, there's security because of our Father, because of our inheritance, because we are sons of God. I don't know if I printed that other one. We become caught up in in and must endure world wars. There's wars that's going on in the world. That's the kind of thing that swings back and forth with unemployment and the inflations and things. There's prejudices in the rape world and not saying that they're not ills. That, that's a, a, a statement that a lot of people try to cover up. Or what. There's a lot of prejudices in the United States still. There's a lot of prejudices still throughout the whole world. There's so much in with the news and the internet and everything, we see how much social unrest there is in the world. Natural disasters and calamities, I think in California and somewhere else, there's wildfires raging right now. I know there's one in Canada, a big large wildfires, all types of accidents. We are exposed to diseases from different people and during the pandemic it was those that didn't want to wear masks, those that was inflicting or passing the disease on the others. And all these can and do strike us with fear and trouble our hearts, destroying some of our peace. But we must develop that mindset that in Christ that we should not fear. We have to get away from fear. Now, I'm not saying don't be cautious. I think, I don't know what that opening verse, I don't remember it, but i think it is saying being circumspect and being careful the way we walk in the world that we have to walk cautiously 
The world is a very easy to anticipate that a disaster can occur at any moment in this world that things may change at a heartbeat with the stock markets and everything else or whatever. But we also realize that our God is sovereign, that God is sovereign over all, and that he's in charge. Going all the way back to Moses, where Moses didn't fear Egypt or the things in Egypt and why he forsook Egypt. The book of Hebrews, that Hebrew hall of faith, that chapter on faith, Hebrews 11 and 27 says, by faith he forsook, forsook Egypt, that is Moses, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Moses' parents had taught him at a very young age about the God of Israel. That was baked into his mind and in his ways. Uh, the Living Bible says, and it, it was because he trusted God that he left the land of Egypt and wasn't afraid of the king's anger. Moses kept right on going. It seemed as though he could see God right there with him. And we would need to start developing the presence of Jesus Christ. Because he says he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. Uh, so we have to get away from the fear of man or what man can do or what, what things could happen. And we have to get our eyes on God, focusing on faith in the sovereign God who is in control. He knew God, and that's why he was able to forsake Egypt. And if we get to know Christ, if we get to know Jesus Christ, and have a knowledge, take his yoke upon us and learn of him. Through his word, through prayer, God reveals him to us. And the Holy Spirit guides us and leads us to all truth. You can get strong enough to do greater spiritual exploits in what we're doing. And that's what I'm looking for in this day and time. Men and women that are busy and have a sight on God. In other words, through the eyes of faith, accomplishing great things, overcoming in the name of the Lord. And, help, and that helps vanquish evil. It vanquishes evil because... The evildoers rise up against us, and as the evildoers rise up against us in these latter days, I'm thinking God will cut them off. God's going to remove all of the workers of iniquity, all of the evildoers. I think we're about to come into our inheritance, and that's why he talks about our heritage. He talks about the prosperity and the abundance of the saints in these latter days. The prophesied events of the end time can only be seen, understood, and endured through the eyes of faith. And so we'll continue to grow because exercising that faith in what's supposed to be coming in the end time and knowing and having the knowledge of these end times cause us to have ever-increasing faith. With that increase in faith, our peace grows. Our internal peace grows. Faith is always occupied with God and the things of God. It, it always, that's, that's the mindset that we thirst and hunger for righteousness, the righteousness of faith. Faith would enable us to be strong and do these things 
and endure the disappointments to these mysteries of life when they crop up and we wonder why they happen and what's going on. But we do know that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. It's not for all people. Now sometimes some things are working out for the bad and some things are going wrong. You may should sit, check and see whether you're still in the faith. Are you doing the will of God had you got on the beaten path? Sometimes we do get on the beaten path. Because we know that because God, we are God's chosen people and God is who He is, He's involved and He's the master of every situation and He's in that situation, but we must look for Him and find Him. Seek God. Find God inside of whatever you're doing because He's there. God is there. He never leaves or forsaken. He's over all of the situations and circumstances of life. Now because we know his character and that he is too wise to make mistakes, he's too loving and concerned about the outcomes of our lives, we know he will not allow us to be totally overwhelmed by anything and that whatever's going on, in his wisdom and knowledge, we know that he loves us and it's for our good whatever's going on. That's the confidence we have in them. That's why there's an even, there should be an even kill to the people of God. There should be balance in life that they don't get discombobulated, that they don't get overwhelmed when things are not going their way, when circumstances and things, you still have to just be still and see the salvation of God. There were some Israelites that had uh, touched a dead body in the book of Numbers, and they were upset that they wasn't going to be able to partake of the Passover because they had became unclean. And if you're unclean, Numbers 9, chapter 6 through 8, verse says, And there were certain men who were defiled by a dead body of a man that they could not keep the Passover on that day, the day of the Passover, God had designed a specific day in the Old Testament to partake of the Passover. They came before Moses and before Aaron on that day, and those men said unto him, We are defiled by the dead body of a man, wherefore we are, are we kept back that we may not offer an offering of the Lord in his appointed season among the children of Israel. But Moses said to them, Stand still, and I will hear what the Lord will command me concerning you. Concerning this situation, you need to just be still a minute. Let me inquire of the Lord. This incident uh, plays a noteworthy part in why we should be still. Sometimes we just have to go to the Lord and seek Him in prayer. Seek His Word and just kind of, there's a systematic way to determine what God's doing. I think that's what Job, Job could eliminate a lot of things while things was happening to him. He know it wasn't because of him not offering to God and paying his tithes and it wasn't of lack of prayer and it wasn't some other certain things he was doing. The reason he was confounded, but stillness, and I'll talk about Job later on with that stillness among him and his friends, but maybe not tonight. Night, okay. 
But on this occasion, Moses uses these words to some of the men of Israel, and he says, just stand still. God had told the children of Israel that they needed to keep that Passover at its appointed time, and that was on the 14th day of Abib uh, Nisan. And that was the two months. To, that was a monthly time on the 14th of that month. The Passover lamb was to be eaten at twilight, and the participants was to observe the rituals according to the instructions that God had given them in Exodus 12. But we see in the New Testament, he changed the timing of that. And when Paul was talking on that about the communion and the table, he says, as oft as you do this. So it may not be a yearly thing. Some churches may do it yearly. Some churches may do it monthly. Some churches do it every week. Some churches do it each time they meet. But he's the ritual is not the point here. So we're not looking at liturgy as to when and how often and when it should be done. We're looking at the fact of stillness here that God had God needs to be inquired of. This account reads rather plainly, but because of what Moses says, we understand that these men had gotten so excited and they didn't want to die. They didn't eat the Passover because you remember he told Peter if he didn't wash his feet and then that he had established the Passover as a memorial unto him and about eating of the bread. And he says, lest you eat of my body and drink of my flesh, you have no life in you that you would partake of death if you didn't eat of that Passover. So we do eat of it. But these men were, were kind of excited about it and they rushed up to Moses thinking, you know, we're going to die because we're not able to partake of, we're not going to eat the Passover. Uh, in all likelihood, these men thought there was no way beside this. It's kind of like when uh, Tamar told uh, what's the brother name that raped her? Uh, the one of the brothers that had raped Tamar, Hamnon or Hamon or whatever it was, and he, she, she told him that such things wasn't doing, done in Israel, but let her inquire of the king and he could figure something out. Yes. Uh, I preached at Brother Luther's funeral one time about his daughters of Hogler and Moloch and, and the three daughters of, of this uh, man had died and didn't have any sons and that God went to Moses after these women approached him because they were afraid of losing their inheritance and so God had provision and made provisions where they would inherit and wouldn't lose their inheritance so a lot of times instead of going apart and coming to pieces you have to follow Jesus when he says, see that you be not troubled. See that you be not worried about these things. We can boldly come before the throne of grace and petition the Father. That, that's one of the reasons he died. So our liberty in Jesus Christ affords us counsel with God, being able to approach him in prayer, being able to study his word, being able to get a word of wisdom from someone, from God. He had placed all of this in the church. 
Now, as Moses verifies a few verses later, if an otherwise undefiled person ceases to keep the Passover, that same person shall be cut off from among his people because he did not bring the offering of the Lord at its appointed time, and that man shall bear his sin. Now, that's Numbers 9 and 13. Misunderstanding this statue, the men cried, We are good as dead. They were really afraid. But notice Moses replied to them to stand still that I may inquire of the Lord. A lot of times you see the priests of the prophets say, Well, look, just stand still. Let us check with God here. Then God spoke to Moses, giving him the instructions that we know now as those for taking the second Passover. There was a second Passover. During the time of Hezekiah, there were some people that were unclean and Hezekiah asked for a provision to partake of that Passover. I asked for a provision from God. I asked about uh, someone that was considered being a member here partaking of our table or whatever. But these are people that want to completely follow the Lord and that are openly trying to follow God. It says if one is defiled on a journey or sick, he may take the Passover one month later on the 14th day of the second month and satisfy his obligation to God. That's why I said those two months, Abib and uh, Nisar, that one may take that Passover in that second month. There was a time for a second Passover that they he could take. Uh, for us, the lesson in Numbers 9 is that Moses needed an acts for stillness both in the movement and in the speech, so that he and he and afterward they could hear God's instructions. Sometimes we just need to go where we can hear God. Sometimes we need to just be still. At the Red Sea, God told Moses, uh, Moses told the people, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. They were crying, and Moses even were crying to God. But he says, Moses, what's that in your hand? He says, all right. He says, well, stretch it out across the sea and get on across that Red Sea. When he said, stand still, in other words, y'all don't need to turn around and fight with Pharaoh. You're not meeting with death. You don't have to swim across the sea. If you would just stand still, you'll see God's salvation come in the parting of the Red Sea. Sometimes we have to get quiet. We have to stand still to see God work. I'm not promoting slowfulness and not moving at all, but sometimes we have to stand still. Uh, Moses needed an ask for stillness both in movement and in speech so that he and afterward they could hear God's instruction. We cannot hear God speak when we are distracted by other things. Moses knew that to hear God, one has to give him full attention, which is the best done when one is still. We have to give him full attention. So the best, the best place and the best time and the best environment to hear what God is trying to tell us is a one of peace and quiet. That's why he says enter into your prayer closet. Sometimes you just have to get away to yourself and pray to God. You have to just get alone by yourself and talk to God. Now because we know his character that he is too where hold on where am I?
skipped over. We know and believe that it, as in Romans the eighth chapter and the twenty-eighth verse is still in the book, and he says that, and we know that all that happens to us is working for our good if we love God and are fitting into His plan. Now that that's very pertinent, as I told you before. If uh, those things work together for good for those that love the Lord. It doesn't work out for good if you're not a lover of God or not a follower of God. Uh, the Amplified reads, And we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together for good. That's as a plan for good for those who love God, to those who call according to his plan and purpose. So when Joseph was carried off into Egypt, when Joseph was sold into slavery, that was all part of God's plan for Joseph to learn the Egyptian language and his culture and everything during those 13 years of imprisonment. It didn't diminish his hopes. It didn't diminish his dreams. It didn't diminish him from being a good person. But after being carried away to Egypt, even Potiphar's wife accusing him of mischieving and trying to rape her or whatever, that worked together for good. So I'm not saying it's always something good that's going to happen to you, but you can look back that a lot of times people have done you wrong, have done things against you, but God turns that evil, he turns that vice into virtue or to an excellent situation. So Joseph told his brothers, y'all meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So when evil or things happen, different things happen to us. Moses wasn't able to live or whatever, and his parents was getting rid of him. They placed him in the basket because of Pharaoh's edict to destroy all the all the male children that were born to the Hebrews. So the parents had to put him in a basket and put him in the river. But that worked together for good, bringing him about God's plan. That may not be the way we would have done it, but we know God is all wise, and that's why a lot of times it's not according to our plans. It's what God put. God determined to have Jesus hung on a tree and murdered by evil and wicked men. And Jesus says, there any other way, he says, nevertheless, thy will be done. So we have to do things according to his purpose and his plan. And I was telling you about the sovereignty of his creation during the time of Noah when he created things. And God talks about his sovereignty and that he's the one who allows or causes the melter to the blacksmith. He says, listen carefully, I have created the blacksmith who blows on the coals of fire and who produces a weapon for its purpose. So I'm not, we're not worried about weapons of mass destruction because God gives them the knowledge to make those weapons and use those weapons. But he tells us that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. That's why the Hebrew boy says whatever God deems possible or want to do, we still not go break his rules and statutes and precepts. Because he is sovereign. Because he rules creation, he is there 
Therefore, we can live through these times and continue growing with a peace that passeth all understanding. That if people observing us, if, if we allowing that light to shine, if people can see that Jesus steals the storms in our lives, we should be stealing the storm in others' lives and those that's watching us and around us even if they had some hope, God had put something in them. They would say, well, why do you do, or what, what's causing you to act to do the way you do? You see, a lot of times we don't ask the right questions. We see things, and we don't inquire in some of the burning bushes in life, and that's why we don't know. We remain ignorant. Matthew, the, 20, the 8th chapter, the 23rd through the 27th verse, Jesus weathers a storm at Galilee, and I was telling you about coming through a storm earlier. It says, now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Well, as the Son of God, and with only the power of his word, Christ raises up and speaks, and the wind stops. He says, Peace be still. Now, after the four, that storm ceases, after it, it calms down into sin, they say, who can this be? What manner of men is, this is that even nature, the winds obeying? This miracle over the environment contrasts the disharmony, disorder, and confusion of nature and against the power of nature, against the order and the peace of the Creator. Because... If we look at Job, it says a wind. Satan had sent this wind. And a lot of times the violence that's in storms and weathers and things, God is sovereign and he's allowing Satan to drive some of these things. This wind that came and smoked the four corners of Job's children's houses and killed all of his sons and daughters. We know that God allows Satan to have a certain or exert a certain amount of chaos and calamity over the weathers. Because God is sovereign over it all, and Satan is limited in what God does, allows him to do, because it's all have to work within his purpose. But Jesus being the Son of God, he's on that boat. He knows nothing can happen to him before his time because he's immortal and we are immortal until God wants us to leave. We, we have to achieve God's purpose. We, we're invincible. As long as we serve in God and God has purpose for us to do, we can't die before our time. That's why he told when uh, Herod says that they said Herod was attempting to kill him. Well, you know, Herod couldn't kill him before his time. And he knew he had to be delivered to Pilate. He knew what type death he was going to die. 
he knew that the Jews couldn't stone him to death. So if we know God's word and what God's word says, it gives us some power and authority, just like he had power and authority. He asked Peter, he said, Peter, how would you like to be able to speak to this mountain and say be moved and it moved and be cast into the sea? He had seen Jesus speaking to this tree and cursed this palm tree. Jesus exercised the dominion God gave him. So if our ways please the Lord, everything should be at peace with us. The storm, all of nature comes into a thing. That's what nature and creation is waiting for, is the manifestations of the sons of God. The manifestations of the sons of God. So God has a purpose, and we're to have dominion, and that's how we do. We speak things into being. We speak things that God gives us. We're his mouth. We're his hands. We're his arms. In other words, he inhabits our body. Our body is no longer ours. So Jesus came in the volume of the book that it was written of him to do God's will. And God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. So what happens is we are imitating Christ. Look at Psalms that. 89th chapter, the 9th through the 13th verse says, O Jehovah, commander of the heavenly armies, where is there any other mighty one like you? Faithfulness is your very character. You rule the oceans, and when their waves arise in fearful storms, you speak and they lie still. You have cut hardy Egypt to pieces. Your enemies are scattered by your awesome power. The heavens are yours, the world, everything for you created them all. You created north and south, Mount Tabor and Mount Hermon. Rejoice to be signed by your name as their maker. Remember he say he created the mountains in that opening verse that we had read about establishing the mountains in time of Noah. It says that the waters of Noah would not flood the earth again. In the same way I have sworn that I will not be angered with you and will rebuke, will not rebuke you. No, the, for the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not remove from you. So we know God does all these things. He says, strong as your arm, strong as your hand, your right hand is lifted high in glorious strength. So Christ treats this storm and the sea as if it were antagonistic against his purposes and rebelling against the forces under his dominating hand and under his unrestrained power. But his word is sufficient to calm them as it commands demons to leave those who are possessed. He can call demons out of people. He can tell demons to go into the swine. He's exercising this power because nothing calamitous or ruinous should come up on us because those weapons or those arsenals of, are of Satan. And unless God give them permission, like Job had to have permit, I mean, Satan had to have permission to do Job anything. Job's, Satan said there's a hedge up around him. Well, God has his protection up around us. That's why we do His will. That's why we're in. We stay right in the center of God's will because 
when our ways please the Lord, God makes even our enemies be at peace with us. God gives us favor with man. So we can lie down at night. We don't have to worry about things. He gives us peace in our home, peace wherever we may be. Conflicts and rebellion have their source in Satan. Wherever strife and, strife and confusion is there, Satan has a hand there. Yes. God is not the author of confusion. The author of confusion in both physical and spiritual worlds is Satan. Yes. Physical evils in nature and among mankind are among Satan's works that Jesus came to overcome and destroy. He came to destroy the works of the devil. So he came with the word of God and to be a peacemaker. We're going to talk about peacemaker in another lesson because it's not going to fit in right here. The peacemaker, that, that's a very strong individual, a peacemaker. When Jesus speaks to calm the storm, Mark indicates that he addresses more than a meteorological force but a, behind, a being behind the force. When he speaks to it, he says... Peace be still. Peace be still. The Greek phrase says, be muzzled or be gagged. It's like a ferocious animal or something bearing down. That's what, why I said the storm that they, that lightning, the voluminous rain that was pouring down in the midst of that storm, I seen so much power, so much awesomeness, but I seen that that was all at the commands of God and that if Satan was unleashing this barrage that God had him on a leash allowing him for the let that lightning strike there. I was looking on the news a, a lightning had struck a building in Chicago and set it on fire. See, but before Satan could command that damage and that ruin, God has he has to get God's approval. So, so whatever's happening, it has to ultimately go through the sovereign God. And he, we know that he's our father. And so we want to be right in the center of that will of God to where we have a peace that we don't worry about these calamities, about these things coming upon us. That's what happened with Job. Job said, that I fear has come upon me. So maybe some of this from God was to get Job to where he wouldn't have a spirit of fear. See, because that was coming from Satan. God is not, a God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and a sound mind, so that things that make you fearful in things are things that vex you, things that knock away your surety. Though the storm was just like a raving maniac, you remember the man that was called Legion was a maniac and out of control and had to be restrained, but Jesus just spoke to him and cast that demon out. So that's so why I say we need to have that power and authority, and to get that we have to be at peace because we're antagonistic with God. And we're at war with God, but God comes in and reconciles us to himself, and he makes a covenant of peace with us. That 
covenant, we, we inherit everything that Jesus inherited. If we Jesus, we're co-heirs, we join heirs with Jesus. <laughs> so I told you there was going to be tribulation in this world. So the waves and the rage of this world still comes against Christ. He said they did it to the green tree, they could do it to the dry tree. Yet they will never overwhelm us because Christ is in us. If he's in us, the hope of glory, he's overcome the world. Psalms, 140, Psalms 46, 1-3 says, God is our refuge and strength. He's mighty and impenetrable, a very present and well-proved help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains be shaken and slip into the heart of the seas, though its waters roar and form, though the mountains tremble at its roaring, we still are not going to be feared. We're not going to be moved. We're not going to be troubled. Because he says, what we said last week, my peace I give unto you, the world can't take it away. So don't let the world circumstances of things come up to you and rattle you. God's people are shouldn't be easily rattled or easily moved. Uh, Psalms 23, 1 through 2, back to the notion of stillness, if I can finish on that note. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Now notice first that he's our shepherd. He's our leader. He leaded me beside the still water. Christ take the initiative to lead us to still places. So he leads and guides us into the calm. He leads us wherever we go. And you remember the Spirit led him into the wilderness? God's Spirit leads us and guides us into all truth. That's a reason if we follow the Spirit because it's going to lead us where it wants us to go. Uh, leading us beside the still water ranks among his highest priorities. Along with providing for our needs and giving us rest and security, he wants to take us to places where there's calmness and there's no anxieties and there's an inner peace. Have you ever been shaken on the outside but you're sound on the inside and so that on the outside it's carnal and we're not fighting against that so it gives you such a peace that people wondering well why you wasn't shaking or rather scared behind that he wants us to have ready access to still places for our well-being and growth he when he leads us beside still valleys he prepared a table for us in the midst of our enemy right in the middle of the world he goes out Right there, he's prepared on that plateau or wherever it be on that mountainside. All of the wolves and wild enemies, bears and things, are looking at this shepherd prepare place for the sheep. This is from this is from the viewpoint of the sheep bragging on the shepherd. That's what Psalm twenty three is: is sheep bragging on the shepherd. It says that he let me lie down in still place. So we're not worried about the external world because the Lord is our shepherd. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil because he's my refuge, he's my strength. 
He's my fortress. I'm looking at Him. I'm looking to Jesus. He's my peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He's my Prince of Peace. And God made that covenant with a peace with us so it couldn't be broken. Second, the psalm, uh, this psalm would consider a blessing. It's about a blessing. Still waters refer to ponds, lakes, or slow-moving rivers or streams. Anybody of body of fresh water that does not rush by. That's why a lot of times I come in and we're trying to be a calmness. We're not trying to get you emotionally strung up and get you in stews so that I didn't gave you the word and you so wrapped up in it emotionally and it's coming that you don't really know what I preach. You don't really didn't have time to savor it. That's why you have to meditate on the words. You have to take the word in. It's given with simplicity. It's given to where you can consume it. Where you can take it in. Because sheep are very skittish creatures. They will refuse to drink from rushing water. So that's why a lot of people don't go to certain churches or listen to certain things because it's taking them too fast. They're not getting understanding. That's why I always ask, well, did everybody understand what I said? Are there any questions? A- am I going over this at a pace in which you can eat it? It's like feeding a child or whatever. You need to feed him at his pace because you feed him too fast. He's going to choke. Or it's going to come back up or whatever. He's going to regurgitate it. So we need to not agitate and we don't want a lot of confusion in things. They love a placid, still environment, which is the kind of environment that a good shepherd will provide for his sheep. And that's what we do in the home. And try to, I had children growing up. Five of them was in the home there at one time. And I didn't want any divisions or anyone that not be able to get things done because one person could cause a lot of havoc in the house. You know, a lot of times a man leave home because the woman is nagging. It says it's better to dwell in the corner of a roof than a house with a nagging woman with a constant drip, drip, drip. That's why as as I've gotten older, I like for my grandkids to come over and visit and everything, but it's time for you to go home. You don't need to stay all night all the time or whatever. Well, this week my wife and my daughter's mother-in-law is staying together with three grandchildren keeping them while my son-in-law is at a seminar he has a a seminar in Alabama somewhere uh, a black history black journalist historic black journalist seminar something or whatever so my daughter's enjoying it because she don't have the kids at night day or night she's there enjoying herself that's her vacation or whatever but there's a certain peace and you thrive that's why sometimes a man to get out and go riding a person has to get away you don't want to be shut up in the house and everything getting on your nerves or whatever that's why you come in with a lot of domestic abuse or a lot of child abuse or whatever sometimes you need quietitude you need to be able to just sit down and maybe meditate or watch television or do something just to get quiet for a while. Peace. 
peaceful waters make for contented sheep and peaceful individuals make for a well-growing church. Having found a quiet, still place where we are at peace, however, we are only halfway to our destination of being still. There's still a little bit more to go. What do we do when we arrive there? Just because we've found the environment does not mean that we have completed the assignment from God to be still. Have you ever went on a vacation or whenever went somewhere and you're so excited getting there and you didn't got in that place, but now you need to calm yourself down because of the arrival of where you are. But it's a lot more than that because now there's many Eastern philosophers than you then came over in, in systems where it advocates yoga, yoga, transcendental meditation. There's Buddhism, Hinduism. All these encourage their practitioners to empty their minds once they get in a peaceful state. Just don't think about anything. Just meditate. Don't think about it. But doesn't God's word teach us the opposite of that? It says meditate on these things. We need to meditate on the Word of God. It's dangerous emptying your mind, just having an empty mind, because that's where Satan comes in at. The godless steer requires only that we rid our minds of the aspects of this present world. We can't have this world crowding in our mind and keeping the mind of the fog and the dreams and things. Ephesians second chapter verses two through three says in which you once walked, you were following the ways of this world, influenced by this present age, in accordance with the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan, the spirit who is now at work in the disobedient, the unbelieving, who fight against the purposes of God. Among these unbelievers, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, our behavior governed by the sinful self, indulging the human desires of the human nature without the Holy Spirit and the impulses of the sinful mind. We were by nature children under the sentence of God's wrath, just like the rest of mankind. There's a movie that had been making the rounds. I think it's, it's Denzel Washington, and it's something about revenge for this child that was kidnapped or something and it's the second part of a movie. But if you notice, most of the movies and things, we sit in there, call ourselves quiet watching television, but it's sitting there filling us up with murdering and killing and someone taking revenge. Someone taking revenge. You have the movies, The Fast and the Furious, all of that whole series of movies that's why when we see things going on down, down, about the cars taking over the road and things, uh, all of those things are things of the world. We have to watch what we see. The lust of the eyes that comes in, the lust of the flesh. So that quiet is that we have to watch how we spend our leisure time in the things of the world. And the movies and the television programs and the things we watch because it focus us internally instead of a peace uh, entertaining thing it's filling us up with vengeance and and the wrong things or whatever in life Romans 13 and 12 says the night 
this present evil age is almost gone and the day of Christ's return is almost here. So let us fling away the works of darkness and put on the full armor of light. So when we are still, God does not want us to be mindless, which only open us up to demonic persuasions. In other words, Matthew 12, 43-5 says, Now when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, it roars through waterless, dry, arid places in search of rest, but it does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it arrives, it finds the place unoccupied, swept and put in order. Then it goes in and brings with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and make their home there. And the last condition of that man becomes worse than the first, so would it always be with this wicked generation. So when you empty yourself of some of the things of this world, that seance, that meditation, that transcendental meditation, that Buddha, that yoga, whatever you're doing, when you empty your mind of all those things, you have to put something back in there. I think the old saying is nature abhors a vacuum. So when you take something out, something has to go back in. So what happens, God wants us to meditate on wholesome thoughts and godly attitudes. Philippians 4.8 Finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things. Center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. Those are the things that you should be putting on your mind. That's what you bring into your mind as you empty it of the world. First Timothy 6 and 11 says, But as for you, O man of God, flee from these things. In other words, you have to read before that, the first to the tenth verse, he says, flee these things, sexual immorality, all of the things of this world. It says, flee these things aim at and pursue righteousness that is true goodness moral conformity to the character of God godliness that is the fear of God faith, love, steadfastness and gentleness so we think best when we are free of Satan's influence which clogs our mind and attitudes with that inspire hurt that daydreaming about the wrong thing mistrust, conflict, pride ramping up stress and inner turmoil. God wants us to take time to be still and think about right and good things which generate positive emotions and peace. That's what he wants us to do. So the fruit of the, of the Spirit increases as we do the will of God and meditate in the Word of God and God gives us a peace passing understanding. Heavenly Father, 